Well, good morning, everyone. The psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, and I will praise you as long as I live. Psalm 63. Be sure to fill out your connection card this morning and drop it in the offering plate before you leave today. And on the back, you'll notice several things to check. One of them is the garden. If you're going to be a part of our garden ministry this year, be sure to check that box so we can be getting information to you. It won't be long before we'll be starting that up. And then also Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, is our staff luncheon. And you're welcome to come. Just bring your own lunch with you. And you can join us at 1130. And in some ways, it's a little special. Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to celebrate Jerry's birthday. So, happy birthday, Jerry. Happy birthday, Jerry. All right. <laughs> and then, if you would be interested in helping work the camera, uh, we would love to talk with you after the service. We need someone who could work the camera maybe one Sunday a month. And if you're interested in helping out with that, uh, be sure to see me or Michael after the service, and we'll get that rolling. All right, I'm going to ask Robert to come and open us in a word of prayer. Oh, wait a minute, one more thing. almost forgot, Doug. He's going to mention uh, we have this great luncheon coming up next week. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, there's very good information in the bulletin about the visit by Dr. Um, Rose and Sarama, but I thought I would just highlight a couple of things if I would. Uh, Doug here with the Global Outreach Team. Um, next Sunday, Dr. Rose and Sarama will be at the park, and Rose is the youngest daughter of Pastor Matthew. Sarama is the wife of Pastor Matthew. Uh, the park has had a long relationship with, with Pastor Matthew, and he is now basically focusing on um, church planning in India. So Dr. Rose and Sarama have taken over, I guess what I would call the day-to-day -day management, the supervision of the two children's homes. There's two children's homes. There's one called Calvary, um, which is the boys' home, and there's one called Bethany, which is the girls' home. And again, I don't know if I mentioned, they're over in the Andaman Islands, which is several hundred miles from the subcontinent of India. It's part of India, but it's way out in the, uh, way out in the ocean, very remote area. And um, these homes really are orphanages. Um, many of the kids come from broken homes. There's neglect, uh, there's abuse, there's alcohol, alcoholism in the family, things of that nature. So um, what they do is very important, and they do it all with a Christian outlook, if you will. Um, so they're going to join us not only for lunch um, and for the church service, but maybe most importantly, they're going to be there. They're going to be with us uh, at Pastor Scott's Sunday school service, and they're going to do a kind of a presentation, a slideshow, if you will. And um, so Pastor Scott's class is in the DFC. I encourage everybody to be there. And I just want to make, make it clear, it's not just for the sponsors of the children. You know, we have individual people that sponsor the, the children over there. Uh, it's for everybody, and it should be very informative. You don't need a golden ticket to be there, so I'd like everybody to be there, if they could. Um, and also, the luncheon, though it coincides with Valentine's Day, it's not really just, you know, it's, it's more, more than just a Valentine's Day celebration. It's really a celebration of uh, kind of getting out to meet and greet them, as well as celebrating, with, uh, celebrating what, they're, what they're doing over there. So... Uh, 
They're doing a lot of good work. They're coming a long way. Uh, I don't know how many time zones it is, but it's something like 30 hours from the Andaman Islands to get over here. And that's not by boat, that's by, that's by plane. You know, that's a long ways. So it really qualifies um, as being a remote area. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we are asked to spread the gospel, to be witnesses, not only in the Mesquite area, not only in the state of Texas, but to the far ends of the earth. And through our partnership and support, and through them, we are able to make a difference over there. We really are. So Pastor Scott has been talking about a free lunch. A free lunch does exist, right? So let's take him up on it. Um, let's, come, let's come tomorrow. Uh, let's come next Sunday. Um, let's have a joyful time with them, break bread with them, and then just enjoy their fellowship. Thank you. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we stand in awe of your goodness and your mercy today, we invite you to be present among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we declare that we love you. Thank you that you have made the way of love known through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would reveal this great love to us today as we gather to worship. Lead us by your Spirit to praise you. May our Hearts overflow with thanksgiving, and our mouths proclaim your everlasting greatness. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here at the beginning of the service, let me mention that at the very end of the service, is a very special postlude. So if, uh, it might be the highlight of your day. So if you have a chance to sit and listen, it might be five or six minutes long. It will be worth your time to hear the today's very special organ postlude. Let's stand together and sing Praise Him, Praise Him. Three stanzas.
Our scripture reading for this morning comes out of the book of Hebrews, where the author is here in chapter 9 talking about clean and unclean and what Christ has done for us, being pure or polluted before God. Please read these words with me from Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve a living God. May God bless the reading of his word. Zeta passed away on Friday. Um, Tony called me on Friday, and uh, we're not sure about the funeral arrangements, so uh, we'll keep you informed of that uh, when, when we get those. But be in prayer for those um, in our senior living facilities, Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, Tony Myrick, Gail Washlager. And also be in prayer for Joan Williams' husband, Richard, He's at home on hospice, and Joan Martinez is still recovering from her surgery, and uh, Jack Hester is also, he's in Christian care and recovering from his surgery. Our homebound members are Dudley Perry, Cindy Belmeyer, and Bill Guzzi. Let's pray. Father, this morning we gather here because our lives are empty without you. It is you who satisfies the very thirst of our soul. It is you who fills the emptiness of our hearts. The psalmist wrote that as the deer pants for the water, so our soul pants for you. Father, we come today, we come to praise your name, because your name is above every name. And we cannot praise you enough for the redemption that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. It was he who paid for our sins and washed them in his own blood on the cross. And Father, we pray, Father, that uh, we in turn will love and serve you to the very best of our abilities. For you demonstrated your love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, you were compassionate and gracious, providing a way of salvation for anyone who's willing to just reach out to you. Father, we pray for those who need your healing touch. Father, we ask that you would encourage them. It can be very discouraging to be sick. And Father, we pray that you'll encourage their families, and we Especially pray for Tony and the Myrick family that you'll bring comfort to their hearts. Father, we pray for all the men and women who serve in our military. We pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Abner Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cogis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, and Devin Guzman. And Father, for all our police officers, firefighters, and first responders, 
We pray for their safety. Father, we pray for our nation and for those who lead us. We ask that you'll give them wisdom to know the difference between good and evil. And we especially pray for a new Supreme Court justice, one who will uphold our Constitution and defend the life of the unborn. Father, we pray that uh, you'll help us to be mindful of world events, just demonstrate again and again how close Christ's return is. Help us to live every, every day that today could be that day. We trust your promises. We rejoice in your faithfulness. We hope in your word. We believe in your son and we rest in your grace. So, Father, fill this place with your awesome presence. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we, well, as we go into communion, we thank the Lord for paying the price, bearing all our sins and shame, so that we could have his amazing grace and have eternal life. As we sing, Worthy is the Lamb, let's thank the Lord for what he's done for us. Take of the bread and the cup. 
Let's remember that it was through Christ's shed blood on the cross. He poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Penal scriptures from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special time at the communion table, a time when we must come before you and closely examine ourselves. In doing so, we are to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we carefully reflect upon our lives, we know that we are unworthy of this, yet you love us enough to allow us to eat the bread, which represents your body, and to drink from the cup, which represents the blood that you shed for us. Thank you for going to the cross for us and taking our rightful sin punishment. And thank you for this gift of grace and eternal life, which we could never earn on our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Join us as we praise the Lord and we say thank you. Testament, which is Malachi. This is from uh, verse 10, a very well-known scripture. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
The Bible says that we should bring our tithes and offerings into your storehouse and that you will respond by opening the windows of heaven and sending down blessing upon blessing. Accept the gifts that we place before you now. We ask that you continue to supply all of our needs. Guard our hearts, and may we, in bringing our offerings to you, store up treasure in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. It's page 712 in the Pew Bible. 712 in the Pew Bible. And it's Mark chapter 7. And uh, we'll begin at verse number 1 and go through verse number 23. Mark chapter 7. Mark, by the way, is writing to Christians in Rome. And uh, they're predominantly Gentile. And so as we read through this passage, you will see where Mark explains some of the traditions of the Jewish people so that they and us will understand what's going on a little bit better. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean or that is unwashed. Now, here's his explanation. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they, uh, they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Are you sitting down? (laughs) Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, That if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban. Another explanation, that is devoted to God. Then you no longer let let him do anything for his father or mother. And thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many 
uh, many things like that. And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And after that, after he had left the crowd, he entered the house and his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out the body. <laughs> In saying this, Jesus was declaring all food clean. And then he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice, deceit and lewdness and envy and slander and arrogance and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Let's pray. Father, as we venture into this very challenging passage I pray our hearts will be open to understand what it is you're really communicating to us in Jesus name amen well there was a uh, a private high school in Washington state that was having a rather unusual problem the um, the girls would gather in the girls restroom be, during during school and they would put on their lipstick which was fine but then what they would do is they would, be, they would kiss the mirror that was in their bathroom and leave dozens of lipstick marks all over the mirror. And this was creating a lot of extra work for the janitor. So the principal decided he had to really address this issue. So he, he brings all the girls into the restroom and he has the janitor already there. And he explains to them that this creates a lot of extra work. And he wanted the janitor to show them how much extra work it takes to clean that mirror of all that lipstick. So the janitor takes a long-handled mop, sponge mop, dips it in a toilet, and then cleans the mirror with it. That solved the problem. And that's because the girls, they understand that when you, when you touch something that's unclean, that, that uncleanness tends to rub off on you. And I think we're all conscious of, fa of the fact that germs and bacteria and viruses can all spread through contact transmitted by touching things. That's why our moms always told us to wash our hands. And that's why Mr. Fauci encourages us to wash our hands. But the Jewish people, they were, they were compulsive about hand washing. In fact, they had a two-step method for washing hands. First of all, they washed for hygienic reasons. They would wash with soap and water, just like you and I would. But then they followed that up with a ceremonial washing. And what they did was they would take, the, they would put their hand in water and cup some water and then let it run over their hand. And that was a ceremonial, uh, ceremonial way of saying that I am now clean before God. It was part of the protocol of letting uh, of cleansing themselves of any 
uncleanness they may have come into contact with. Now, I, let me, let me, I'll just be right up front. The cleansing laws and traditions of the Jewish people is very confusing. I'll have to tell you, it's not as confusing as the COVID laws, all right? But it's still very, very confusing. But the Israelites, they had these cleansing rules and these traditions, and um, that's because they were very sensitive about being defiled or clean before God. And you know, really, we all have that sense of unworthiness, uncleanness, a sense of maybe guilt. And we all need that sense. And so the question really comes up is, what are we doing about it? How do we wash that sin and that guilt from our hearts and lives? How do we cleanse ourselves? You know, one religion says, well, this is how you do it. And another religion says, no, that's how you do it. And, and they're all different. Well, we're going to settle that this morning. We're continuing our study in the life of Christ. And we're in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus' popularity is, is growing. It's growing exponentially. And he now has the attention of all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he is on their radar. And they're hearing stories about him. Stories that deeply concern them. Stories that feel, they, they feel like they need to go down and investigate personally and see what's really going on. And so a delegation of religious leaders make their way from Jerusalem to Galilee to personally investigate Jesus and what's happening. And in today's passage, Jesus engages them in a um, lively debate, we'll call it that, over tradition. Now, it would be easy for us to say, you know what? I don't see any relevance at all in looking at a passage of Scripture that talks about traditions that were practiced 2,000 years ago. I mean, uh, I just, uh, I mean, who cares about all those traditions of what they did, all those washings back then? This debate is important. It, it was important then, and it is important now. It was relevant then, it's relevant now. Jesus, I mean, he picked his battles very carefully. He never picked a fight unnecessarily. In fact, Jesus, when he debated something, it was because it was important. He debated something because there were universal principles involved. There were timeless truths involved. And that's exactly what we see here. In fact, you know, there are numerous uh, accounts of Jesus debating the religious leaders in the Gospels. Several of them. This one is the longest because it is highly important. So in this passage, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at conflict. This is number one. Conflict with the religious leaders. Then we're going to look at condemnation. Jesus condemns the religious leaders. And then we're going to look at clarification where Jesus clarifies what it really means to be clean before God. So let's take a look. Notice, first of all, Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders. They've come up from Jerusalem into Galilee. 
And they're watching Jesus and his disciples. And what they see, it upsets them. So much so, they confront Jesus. And in verse number 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? You know what they observed? They observed the disciples eating and literally skipping over the most important part of a meal. Not the prayer, the washing, the ceremonial washing of their hands. And that's a serious violation of tradition. Now what Mark does, he's, he's going to explain to us why this was so important. Why it was necessary. And that's because from a Jewish point of view, the religious leaders felt this is how we maintain our cleanness before God. You see, he talks about going into a, the marketplace, a public facility. And when you're in the marketplace, you never know who you're going to bump up against or who might touch you or you touch them. You might, for example, uh, accidentally touch a tax collector. You're unclean. You might accidentally bump up against a prostitute. You're unclean. Or a Gentile. If a Jewish person bumped into or touched or even purchased something from a Gentile in the marketplace, they were unclean. And so that would require them to go through the ceremonial washing to cleanse them. And the religious leaders were very uh, adamant about that. You know, it's sort of like when we go to Walmart or Home Depot back when COVID was really big, we were very cautious about social distancing. Keep your distance. Don't get too close to somebody. You'll get their virus. Well, it was the same mindset back then. Don't get close to someone. You might bump up against them. Now you're contaminated. You need to be cleansed. And by the way, this whole thing of ceremonial washing, it goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Uh, in the law of Moses, Exodus chapter 30, God instructs Moses to make a, a bronze basin of, and fill it with water. And then he instructed Moses, he said, tell uh, Aaron and his sons that they are to wash their hands. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting or the temple became, it became the temple eventually, they are to wash their hands. The priest had a certain process or protocol of washing their hands before entering into the temple to worship. In fact, when you read it, what I kind of got out of it was that they went through a, a process of hand washing that was very similar to a surgeon before he goes into surgery. I mean, just as a surgeon has to wash and make sure their hands are completely clean before going into uh, surgery, a priest would do the exact same thing. They went through a surgical, a process of cleansing their hands to make certain that when they went in to worship God, they were clean before God. Now, this is where the confusion sort of set in. These laws were intended to, to communicate that, we, that, it's a, that you must be clean before entering into God's presence. I think we all understand that. God is holy, and we're not. We must be clean to enter God's presence. But 
The confusion was these laws were intended to, to point to a spiritual cleansing. But the religious leaders took it very literally. That you, you know, you had to literally wash your hands. That literally washing your hands, that is what made you clean before God. And, and they, they ran with it. In fact, their view was, in the law, the Old Testament law required only the priest to do this washing at the temple. But their thinking was, hey, if, if, it, if the priest had to wash his hands to be clean before God, it only makes sense we should all wash our hands to be clean before God. And so they began building these traditions and writing them down. And so that eventually, by the time of Jesus, whenever you sat down for a meal, you not only washed your hands for hygienic reasons, you had a ceremonial washing as well. These traditions are not in the Bible. They were never commanded by God. And that is why it was not high on Jesus' radar. And this is the rub between Jesus and the religious leaders. They, they argued, the religious leaders argued, that it was necessary to wash your hands to be clean before God. And they felt Jesus was disrespecting the law, disrespecting their traditions. In fact, how could any rabbi who claims to represent God allow their disciples to eat without washed hands? Now, Jesus could not agree with them more about one thing, and that is we're all unclean before God. That we all agree on. 100%. We're all sinful. We all have sinned. We're all unclean before God. Yes. But here's where they differed. And that is, what is the source of our uncleanness? You see, the religious leaders believed that when you came into contact with Gentiles and tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners, if you touched them or they touched you, you were unclean. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, of a game that we used to play when I was in elementary school. We used to play a game in elementary school at recess, and it was called cooties. Do any of you ever remember playing, you remember cooties? You know, where, you know, one person has cooties, and, and they're running around trying to touch other people, and if they tag you, you had cooties, right? And, uh, and if you really wanted to liven the game up, uh, you, then both of you had cooties, and then, then you cut, both two people are running around tagging people, and then four people, until everybody had cooties. Well, the religious leaders believed that if someone, like a tax collector, or a prostitute, or a sinner, if they came up and they touched you in some way, or you purchased something off of them, you had cooties. Well, Jesus irritated the religious leaders because, you know what? He didn't play their game. He didn't play cooties with them. And for, and, the, and for good reason, because touching somebody is not going to give you sin or cooties or, or defile you. In fact, in verse 15, Jesus says in verse 15, nothing outside a man can make him unclean. So Jesus is very clear. Just because you rub up against somebody who is a sinner, you're not going to be sinful. 
through physical contact. All right? There's another area where Jesus disagreed with them. Not only in the source of sin and, and uh, uncleanness, but how do you deal with it? What makes, what makes us clean? And of course, they believed that literally if they had the ceremonial washing, just put your hand in the water, let it run down your wrist, that made you clean before God. That ceremonial cleansing will make you clean before God about as much as Lady Macbeth and her washing her hands made her clean. Remember Macbeth? You know, her and, and Macbeth, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, they went in at night and killed King Duncan. And, but it was she who had the, kind of had a guilty conscience and she was having this meltdown, you might say, and in that very famous speech, remember she says, out damn spot, out I say, hell is murky, hell is muddy, all the perfumes of Arabia cannot sweeten this little hand. She tried to cleanse her conscience by washing her hands and it wasn't working. All the hand washing in the world won't cleanse the guilt and the uncleanness that's within us. But here's, here's the thing. Here's where it gets relevant. All the religions of the world are trying to wash away sin through external means. Just like the, 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 the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They thought we can wash away sins by simply washing our hands. One religion, for example, says if you... Uh, if you obey the five pillars of our faith, you will be clean before God. Another religion says, if you follow the eight paths, you will be clean before God. Another religion says, here is the protocol. You follow this protocol and this will make you clean before God. You know what they all have in common? It's all external. You do this, you do that, wash your hands, oh, do, go here, go there, do this, do that. It's all external. External means will never, never cleanse away sin and guilt. No more than it could wash away Lady Macbeth's guilt and sin. So at this point, before Jesus corrects them in the truth of the matter, he has a few choice words for the religious leaders. And that brings us to the second point. Second of all, notice that Jesus is going to respond by quoting from the Old Testament. He replied, verse number 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Woo! Now that's some pretty harsh language. You know, when Jesus, when he interacted with prostitutes and tax collectors and all those people who were on the margins of society, he was always kind. He was gracious he was gentle. But when he spoke to the religious leaders, he was abrupt and he was blunt. And he calls them hypocrites. He's, he accuses them of nothing more than lip service to God. He describes their worship as empty. And he labels their traditions as nothing more than the, the fabrications of man. Do you think do you think Jesus hurt their feelings? 
Do you think he offended them? Do you think he cared? Not at all. Jesus is pointing out the problem. The problem is that their traditions do not support the word of God. In fact, their traditions are undermining the word of God. And I want you to notice this incredible escalation in the way they abandon God's word. Notice in verse number, in verse number 8. He says, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Verse 9, he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then in verse 13, the end, he says, you have nullified the word of Nullified meaning you have canceled it. There he, that's the original cancel culture right there. You have canceled the word of God by your traditions that you've handed down. In other words, they have slowly, gradually, systematically turned things around to where the word of God, their traditions now have more authority than the word of God. And he gives them an example in verses 10 through 12 about the fifth commandment, you know, that says, honor your father and mother. But they had a tradition that skirted around that and could get around it. So one did not have to honor one's father and mother. And what Jesus does here, he's calling them on the carpet. You have whittled down, watered down, and you have canceled God's word. Some pretty harsh words. And that brings us to the third thing we want to look at. Jesus' clarification of God's salvation. Now, what Jesus will do, he's going to make certain we're all clear. Where does sin come from? Does it come from touching people that are sinful? And what is the means of cleansing our sins? Notice in verse 15. What is the source of our sin? Verse 15. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going unto him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And verse number 20. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts. There it is. That's where, that is the source of sin. It's not the people we come into contact with every day. It's our own self. It's right there in our own heart. Now I'm going to tell you, this is incredibly profound. This is, and yet so, so few people really understand this. It is incredibly profound. The philosophies of the world have not, still to this day, have not grabbed hold of this truth. Even religions of our day have not grabbed hold of this truth. Let me explain. Let me give you an example. The world today, the philosophers of the day, and I heard one just yesterday, say something like, for example, um, well, the reason he's always in and out of jail and having a problem. The reason is, well, you know, he, he just runs with the wrong crowd. Uh, you know how good moral, uh, good morals, um, bad company corrupts good morals, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and the problem is he's just running with the wrong crowd. Or, or someone says, 
Well, the reason he, he was driving drunk and, and killed several people was because his parents never taught him right and wrong. He came from a very rich family and he had affluenza, you know. And, and that's why he was doing the things he was doing. And, or someone else said, well, the reason she, she, she walks the streets at night, well, she, she came from a bad home. She didn't have parents who taught her right and wrong. And because, in other words, it's all, it's all the environment. It's the place where you grew up. And by the way, you know what they say? The solution? It's all external. The solution is we need more social programs. We need to funnel, we need to funnel more money into youth programs, youth centers. We need, uh, we need to, um, we need to provide more educational opportunities. We need more mentoring programs. It's all external. It's all what's on the outside. And Jesus says, Jesus says in verse number 20, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts and all these sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness. All these things, he says, come from where? Do, do all these things come from because you're, you grew up in a, a bad area or because you had bad parents? Where does all that come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from within the person, not from outside the person. Now, as Christians, we need to keep this in mind. Because as Christians, sometimes Christians will say, well, the reason I've got such a problem with sin and I can't really live a good Christian life is because of the people I work with. They're so corrupt. They're so dishonest. You know, if I didn't have to work with all those bad people, I'd be a better person. Really? Coming into contact with bad people, they're not giving you cooties. Those cooties are coming from your heart. Sometimes people, people say, well, the reason I struggle with sin is because uh, it was my mom and dad. When I grew up, I had a bad home life, and I, I never really learned how to, to be a good person. Really? Being in contact with people on the outside, that's why you have a sin problem? People, can, people around you aren't giving you cooties. They're coming from within the heart, and we need to remember that. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus can cleanse the human heart. Jesus can change the human heart. He can change and transform our lives. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is what Paul does here. He lists about the 10 same sins that are mentioned here in, in Mark. He lists these ten almost identical sins. And then Paul says this. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. And in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. That's where the cleansing comes. See, the problem isn't who we rub, run around with or who we rub shoulders with. That, that's, they're not the ones giving us all the uncleanness. That uncleanness is coming from within the heart. And we need a clean heart. And there's only one place to get a clean heart, and that's with Jesus Christ. 
And he did that on the cross. When he went to the cross, as we mentioned earlier, he went to the cross, he poured out his blood, and that blood is what cleanses us from our sins. It's an inward cleansing. He took our sin on the cross. It was nailed to the cross, and then he gave us his righteousness. Years ago, Pierre Burton was a well-known radio, television, commentary a commentator on, on in Canada. And Billy Graham was conducting a, a crusade up in Canada. So Pierre Burton invited Billy Graham to come on to his radio program. And by the way, Pierre Burton was a very outspoken atheist. And he wanted to embarrass the gospel and really Billy Graham. And after a number of questions, he says to Billy Graham, he says, you know, you believe that it's through Jesus Christ that you're saved and not your works. He said, uh, so let's suppose, let's suppose Adolf Hitler at the very end of his life got down on his knees and asked Jesus to forgive him. Would, would Adolf Hitler have been saved and go to heaven? And Billy Graham, yes. And then, and then Burton says, well, what about me? I don't believe in God, I don't believe in Jesus, but I, I love my wife, I love my family, I pay my taxes, I give to charity, I help people all I can. Are you telling me that I would go to hell? Yes. Why? Because that's how highly God thinks of the cross. The cross is where our salvation is in and not in our good works. God thinks so highly of the cross and what Christ did on that cross, that is the only means of salvation. So here's what I want us to take home with us today. Sin comes from within the heart, but cleansing comes from heaven above. Sin comes from the heart within, cleansing comes from the heart above. It's not, it's not what we do that cleanses us. There's no external means of cleansing. It's what Christ can do in the heart. That's where our cleansing comes. And if you've never invited Christ into your life and been cleansed by him, do that today. And begin to really sense the, the, the wholeness and the cleansing and the, the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who's never come to faith in Christ and, and experienced that cleansing, that today, they, that this would be the day that um, they put their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, Whiter Than Snow, two stanzas. than snow
If you would like to talk to someone about your spiritual life, I'll be up front. Our elders are here, and we would be glad to talk and pray with you this morning. And uh, it's good to see everyone. Be sure to drop your connection card in the offering plate and check if you're coming next Sunday. We want to have a, an accurate account of how much food to have here. It's, like uh, Doug said, it's a free lunch. Uh, you don't see that very often, but it's a free lunch next Sunday, and everything will be provided. You just come and enjoy a good, more, a good time of fellowship. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to be in the house, your house, where we can praise and lift your name up and high. And Father, I thank you so much for the cleansing that comes from you, the real cleansing that comes from the cross to our hearts. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up your name and countenance in Jesus' name. Amen. Be sure to remember our special postlude after this service today. Oh. Uh-huh.